In his book, Winning with People, author John Maxwell tells this story about family conflict. Three sons left home to make their fortunes and did very well. One day, the three competitive brothers got back together to discuss the gifts that they were going to give their elderly mother. The first said, I built mom a really big house. The second said, I got her a Mercedes with a driver. I've got you both beat, said the third. You know how mom enjoys the Bible and you know how she can't see very well. I sent her a brown parrot that can recite the entire Bible. It took 20 months in a monastery, 12 years to train them. I had to pledge to contribute $100,000 a year for 10 years for them to train them, but hey, it was worth it. Mom just has to name the chapter and verse and the parrot will recite it for her. Soon afterwards, their mom sent out her thank you notes to the first son she wrote. Milton, the house you built is so huge. I live in only one room, but I have to clean the whole house. To the second son she wrote, Marty, I am too old to travel. I stay home all the time. I never use a Mercedes and the driver is rude. But to her third son she wrote, Dear Melvin, you were the only son to have the good sense to know what your mother likes. The chicken was delicious. <laughs> Every family has conflicts. And sometimes we see those conflicts in marriage. Other times we see those conflicts in parenting. And then there's the conflicts we experience at work. Maybe you have conflict with a noisy neighbor where you live. Conflicts between rival sports teams. Conflicts with all the political perspectives that are shouted in our ears and conflict between nations that leads to war. Learning to deal with conflict is a very important life skill, one that many have never learned or ever been taught, and it's what we're going to talk about today. For the past few weeks, we've been looking at a sermon that Jesus preached called the Sermon on the Mount. And today we're going to look at this statement by Jesus, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Learning to deal with conflict Learning to be a peacemaker is what God wants for you. And it should be what we want for ourselves. And let me give you a couple of good reasons why. First of all, your relationships with people directly affect your relationship with God. Now, we can't control what other people do or don't do when it comes to conflict. But we can make the right choices ourselves. And those choices affect our relationships with God. Now, guys who are married, let me just point you to a verse. This is in 1 Peter and it says this, Husbands, be considerate of your wives and treat them with respect so that nothing hinders your prayers. And the point is this, when you're a husband, how you deal with conflict with your wife, how you treat your wife, affects your relationship with God and whether God is actually going to hear your prayers or not. Now here's another reason that it's important to be a peacemaker. Your relationships with other people don't just affect your relationship with God. They affect you directly, and we all know this. What's one of the greatest sources of joy in our lives? Relationships with other people. What's one of the greatest sources of pain and sorrow in our lives? Often it's relationships with people. And the reality is this. You can be successful at work. You can achieve all kinds of goals. You can be you know, doing great in all these areas of your life. But when your relationships are in trouble, you're in trouble. When relationships get broken, our hearts get broken. And so it's important to know how God wants us to navigate these relationships. So let's think about what Jesus meant when he said, Blessed are the peacemakers, 
for they will be called children of God. And here's the first thing that I want you to see. God is a peacemaker. God is a peacemaker. Now, why is that important? Because we are peace breakers. The Bible says we come into this world with a heart that pulls us away from God, away from God's purpose and plan for our lives. You might say that we're born at odds with God. And this is really a, a great irony because, see, God wants us to be close to him. God wants us to have peace with him. That's why he made us. And God wants us to have peace within our own hearts and peace with other people. But the reason we find that impossible is because of sin. Now, I want to show you something that I think is helpful it goes back to the story in Genesis, the story of Adam and Eve, because God makes the first people. And it's a perfect world. Adam and Eve have peace with God, have peace in their own hearts, have peace with each other. But then, at one point, they decide to disobey God, to go their own way. And there's a word for this. It's called the fall. And in the fall, Adam and Eve disobey God. And this is what happens to their lives. Just like that clay pot, they are broken. Their hearts are broken. Their relationship with each other is now broken. And now their relationship with God is broken as well. And as God looks at Adam and Eve, this is what he sees. Lives that are shattered. And church, this is what God sees when he looks at us. Because we are people who are broken as well. But because God loves us, he decides to carry out the greatest rescue mission the world has ever known. A rescue mission that involves putting the broken pieces of our lives back together. In fact, when Jesus comes to our world, he says, I came to heal the brokenhearted. I came to set the prisoners free. I came to bring peace. Now, what is the Hebrew word for peace? Many of you know it, right? Shalom. And shalom is this idea that something that is broken is put back together, is restored to its original condition. And this was the mission of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. And so he comes and does what no human being had ever done. He lives a perfect life. And that uniquely qualifies him to offer his life in exchange for ours. And so when it comes time for Jesus to be arrested, he willingly goes. And he allows himself to be beaten. He allows himself to be hung on a cross. Why? So that our lives can be put back together again. Because this is what God's willing to do. God is willing to take your failure, your sin, my sin, and place them on Jesus and punish him instead of us. And Jesus dies the death that we deserved, but then God raises him back to life and Jesus says, look, come to me. Follow me. Believe that I died for you. Let me lead you because I can bring you a new life. And that's what this sermon is all about. It's the fact that an entirely different kind of life is possible when you allow Jesus to rule in your heart by embracing him as your king. I was talking with our, our staff and, and with our worship team earlier and um, just the fact that as I worked on the message this week, I saw all these really practical verses about conflict and about relationships. And I thought, you know, that's a really big theme in Scripture, and here's why. Because that's the heart of the gospel. The gospel is about reconciliation, reconciling us to God and to each other. And listen, if you're a Christian today, every time that you find yourself dealing with conflict, it's an opportunity to do two things. First of all, to draw on the wisdom and the power of Jesus to help you deal with that conflict in a God-honoring way. But it's also an opportunity to do this, to demonstrate to other people what it looks like to rely on the wisdom and power of God to deal with conflict. And that's why the Bible says this, if it is possible, and this is the verse of the week, it's in your program on the card, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with the people you like. 
What does it say? Live in peace with everyone as far as it depends on you. Now listen carefully. When it comes to conflict, you can't control how other people respond, but you can take responsibility for how you respond. You can learn to be a better peacemaker. So let me ask you this, and you can raise your hand on this one. How many of you would like to learn how to deal with conflict more effectively in your life? I think we all do, and that's what God wants for us, and that's why he's given us all of these practical ways to do that. So this morning, I want to encourage you to do this. If you don't have a pen, get one, because I really want you to take notes this morning. Um, maybe this morning you're dealing with conflict, and this is going to really help you. Um, maybe your life is kind of you know, smooth sailing right now. I'll tell you what, conflict's up ahead. And so you're going to need to know this stuff. And here's the other thing. You can pass these biblical concepts along to somebody else. I, I was talking to a, a man who came through the door after the first service, and his wife was standing right next to him. And he said this to me. And I, I told him that I was going to tell you this story, but I wasn't going to use their names. Um, and I think it was tongue-in-cheek. That's, that's my, my suspicion. But he looked at me and said, Hey, Pastor Dudley, um, thank you so much for that sermon. My wife really needed to hear it. I think I saw her, saw her hug him on the way out, so I'm, I'm sure it was just a joke. But here's the deal. This is something that is really going to be valuable, especially if you're married, but it's going to apply to all kinds of relationships. So how can you learn to be a better peacemaker? Well, here's the first thing you can do. Ask God for wisdom. Ask God for wisdom. Has this ever happened to you? You're having conflict, and you just you got your head down, and you're thinking, I, just, I don't have any idea what to do. Have you ever been in that, that situation? I don't know what to say. What do you need? Starts with the letter W. You need wisdom. Where do you get it? Yeah, from God. And look at this verse from James. It says this. If you want to know what God wants you to do, well, ask him, and he will gladly tell you. But there's a problem. When we encounter conflict, we often want to do what we want to do instead of what God wants us to do. Isn't that true? And often what we want to do is run away from conflict. We can avoid conflict. Sometimes we pretend that everything's okay, but we know it's not really okay. Sometimes we convince ourselves that if we just do nothing, the conflict will go away. So we go to great lengths to keep the peace. However, unaddressed conflict is like termites. It will eventually bring the house down. Other times, when we encounter conflict, we do just the opposite. We go on the offensive um, there's a bumper sticker that says, I don't get mad, I get what? Yeah, hey, you hurt me, I hurt you more. And so because we have this propensity to handle conflict our way instead of God's way, we need God's wisdom to know what to say and what to do. Now, I want to show you a verse in James that tells us the kind of wisdom that's available from God. It says this, but the wisdom that comes from heaven, from God, is first of all pure, then notice this, peace-loving. Considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Listen, before you go and talk to somebody and try to work things out, it's a good idea to first talk to God and ask for his wisdom. Now, after you've talked to God, it is time to do something else. And here's the next step. Make the first move. Make the first move. See, one of the important ways to be a peacemaker is to be willing to go to the other person, even if it was their fault, even if they started it. Now, where does that idea come? From the teaching of Jesus. And this actually comes from the Sermon on the Mount. It says this. Imagine this actually happening on a Sunday morning, okay? If you're standing there before the altar in the temple, in the church, giving an offering to God, maybe you're over there by the offering box getting ready to drop your offering in the offering box, 
and you suddenly remember someone has something against you. Not that you've got something against another person. They have something against you. Leave your offering there beside the altar. Go at once and first be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your gift to God. Now, one of the things that jumps out is a sense of urgency. Go at once and try to be reconciled. Now, I've done this so many times in my life. I've had conflict with people, and I thought, I really don't want to make the first move. They should make the first. It was their fault for crying out loud. They can come talk to me about it. And then I get convicted. Okay, I know, God, I'm supposed to make the first move, but, you know, tomorrow, I'm really busy today. Next week, next month, next year, there is a sense of urgency. Jesus says, go at once. Because Jesus knows that life is short and life is unpredictable. And the time to deal with conflict is now. So let me ask you this. Is there a situation in your life right now where you need to make the first move? And church, I also need to point something out. Sometimes we're trying to follow what God says. I mean, we pray and we say, God, I need wisdom. He says, well, you know, you need to go and talk to this person. You go and talk to this person and they refuse to talk to you. They don't want to have anything to do with you. What do you do then? I mean, you're trying to do the right thing. Well, you can pray for that person. You can pray that God would change their heart, that God would open their heart. You can try an alternative method of communication. You could text them. You can send them a, an email. You can send them a note or a card. You can try to communicate, but ultimately, they will either accept or reject that communication. But let me say this, because I know this is a case in many families, there's this conflict that's been going on for a long time, maybe even years. And you've been praying for this person, you know, hoping that God would change their heart. Don't just pray for that person. Pray for yourself. Pray for your heart, that God will help you not to get a hard heart or a bitter heart toward that person. And realize this, God can make a way where there seems to be no way. God can make the walls fall down. God can move mountains. He's done it before and he can do it again. And we need to pray, asking God to do that. And being ready to step through that door should it open. Now, here's the, the thing. Let's say you ask God for wisdom and you're decided, you've decided, I'm going to make the first move. What do you say when you have that conversation? Where do you start? Well, here's where it starts. Step number three, admit your fault. Admit your fault. Now, again, this is not the way that conversations about conflict often go. Because sometimes, instead of starting with our fault, we start with whose fault? The other person, hey, here's what you did. Here's how you hurt me. Now listen, there is a time to talk about that, but it's not where you start. You start with what's your fault. Now sometimes, it's sort of like a, a street where traffic is going in two directions. Sometimes it's like, you know, 20% your fault and 80% the other person's fault. Sometimes it's 50-50. Sometimes we think, you know what? It's more like 99% your fault and 1% my fault. I found that if you look really hard, you can find that 1%. And you have something to confess, something to admit. You could even say, you know what? Um, I just wanted to tell you I'm sorry that I was being defensive. I'm sorry that I didn't listen well to what you were saying. You can always find something that you can communicate to somebody that shows that you have a part in the conflict. You can own that fault. Because there are two things, two really significant causes of conflict in the Bible. Here's the first, selfishness. Selfishness. What causes fights and quarrels among you? They're caused by selfish desires that are continually at war where? What does it say? Inside you. Now, this is really important because we respond to conflict based on what's going on inside us. Now, there are days, you know, when, you know, I've had a really good devotional time and I've prayed and I sense, you know, 
that Jesus is with me, and I run into conflict, and man, I can handle it pretty well. I don't get that upset or irritated or annoyed because I'm full of love, and I'm full of joy, and I'm full of Jesus. But you know what? There are other days when I'm full of me. <laughs> and so I don't respond to conflict the same way, and that's true of you. When you're full of you instead of Jesus, you're going to respond in a different way. You're going to get irritated and annoyed and impatient because it's all about who? Yeah, it's all about you. Now, one of the causes of conflict is selfishness, and here is the second, pride. Pride. Like twin sisters, or ten brothers, let me just say it that way. Um, pride only leads to what? What does it lead to? Arguments. Now, sometimes we use the word pride this way. You know, a father's proud of his son because he made the team. That's not what we're talking about here. This is a kind of pride that is completely self-centered. This is a kind of pride that says, you know what, I'm more important than you. What I want is more important than what you want. What I think is more important than what you think. And this is a kind of pride that fosters conflict. Now, I want to teach you a phrase this morning that can break down the walls that conflict creates. And really, this is important, so I'm encouraging you to write it down because hopefully you're going to use it. Are you ready? Here's the phrase. I'm sorry, I was only thinking of myself. Okay, you got that? All right, let's say it out loud. Can we do that? Say it with me. I'm sorry, I was only thinking of myself. Now, when you get into a situation and you say that to somebody, hey, I'm sorry, I was only thinking of myself, when they regain consciousness, you can continue the conversation and reinforce the idea, hey, you know, really, I was being selfish and prideful. I'm sorry, I was only thinking of myself. And here's why that phrase is so important. Because we all have blind spots. A blind spot is a weakness that you don't see, but other people see it. And so when it comes to conflict, if we come with humility and, and say, you know what, <clears throat> I need to listen to you because maybe there's something that you see that I don't see, it changes the conversation completely. And Jesus made this incredibly clear in another part of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I want to share something with you real quickly because um, Jesus is like the most phenomenal teacher. He is the teacher. Did you know that Jesus used humor in his teaching? Some people are unaware of this. He did. And uh, back in the Jewish culture, one of the things that they thought was really funny was exaggeration. And so if you used hyperbole and you exaggerated, people go, oh, man, that's so funny. In fact, I think that when Jesus said this, people were laughing out loud. So are you ready? I'm going to read these verses. They may be familiar to you, but listen to them with that in mind, with that perspective. Jesus says, And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, hey, hey, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with a speck in your friend's eye. Do you hear what Jesus is saying there? He's saying, look, when you start the conversation with conflict, start with your fault. Because you've got a log in your eye. Don't talk about the speck in your brother's eye. Start with what's your fault and then continue the conversation. And that leads us to the next step, which is really important. Listen to their heart. Listen to their heart. You know, when you are talking to somebody, you hear the words, right? But are you listening for what's behind the words? Are you listening for the emotion in what they're saying? And this is really important because when there's conflict, you can bet on this, somebody got hurt. Somebody's feelings are hurt. And it's important to try to figure out how they got hurt and why they're feeling hurt. Let me give you an example. You're having a conversation that begins this way. And you haven't even gotten into the issues, but you're just kind of 
start the conversation off and you say, so how are you doing today? And the person says, fine. I'm just fine. Now, are they really fine? I hope you realize they're not. Because sometimes we'll say, oh, that's what they said. They're fine. They must be fine. <laughs> not going there. But here's the reality. You know that there's hurt behind those words. You know there's an emotion. And you need to say, hey, you know, sounds like you're, you're upset. Can you tell me more about that? Instead of just going on, saying, okay, I guess you're fine. A number of years ago, there was a book written by Stephen Covey. It was called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And one of the habits was this. Seek first to understand and then to be understood. Now, I'll tell you, in conflict situations, that's not how we usually approach it, right? We want somebody to understand how we feel. This is what you did to me. This is how you hurt me. But he's saying, you know, if you really want to be able to, to deal with people well in relationships, the first thing you need to do is seek to understand what they're saying, what they're feeling. Now, where, do, where did a great idea like that come from? It came from the book. James 1.19 says, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, we must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And if you do the first two, if you're quick to listen and slow to speak, that helps you deal with that emotion of anger that often comes from hurt feelings. Now, there's a key in Scripture to dealing with conflict, and it's simply this. It's a change in our, our focus. Because typically we're focused on who? Yeah, this should be really straightforward. We're focused on ourselves and what we need, what we want. What would happen in a situation where during that conversation you're more focused on the person that you're talking to, what they want, what they actually need? And that's what the Bible encourages us to do in this verse in Philippians. It says, each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now, this is really interesting. That word look in the Greek language is the word, um, it's spelled S-C-O-P-O-S, scopos. And we get the word microscope and telescope from this Greek word, which means to really focus, zoom in on something. And that's what the scripture is saying. Zoom in on the needs, the hurts, the wants of other people when you're facing a conversation that involves conflict. Listen to the needs of your wife, to your husband, your child, your client, your coworker, because when you do that, whose attitude will you be imitating? What does it say there? Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, because that's what Jesus does. He's concerned about our wants and our needs. And realize this, the more you focus on the needs of others, the more patient you will be with them, because you'll understand them better. And the flip side is also true. The more you focus on your own needs, the more impatient you will be with other people. And let me point out two things to focus on when you're listening. Check out this verse from Romans chapter 15. We must bear the burden of being considerate of the doubts and fears of of others. As you listen to somebody talk, be on the lookout for their doubts and their fears. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody or even a situation and you thought, I just don't get this. I don't know why they're doing that. It just doesn't make any sense. Well, the reality is that the emotion that is often behind things we do that other people don't understand is fear. The fear of rejection, the fear of failure, the fear that we're going to be found out when we're doing something we know is wrong. Fear motivates us to do things that people just don't understand. But here's the way we often think about fear. My fear is perfectly reasonable. Your fear is stupid. You ever think that way? You know, I'm, I'm just rational with my fear. You're completely irrational. Guys, let me ask you this. 
Have you ever had a conversation, if you're married, have you ever had a conversation where your wife came to you and said, honey, I'm worried about this, I'm, a, I'm afraid about this, and you said, hey, it's no big deal. You shouldn't worry about that. Is that being sensitive to a person's doubts and fears? No, it's not. And that's what God is calling us to do because when we do that, we're listening to somebody's what? We're listening to their heart. And that brings us to this next step in dealing with conflict. Speak the truth in love. And this comes right from the Bible. It says here in Ephesians 4, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ because this is what Jesus does. When he talks to people, he speaks the truth in love and Jesus is the head of his body, the church. Ever hear somebody say this? I just tell it the way it is. I just tell the truth, unvarnished truth. Do you know anybody like that? Okay. Now here's the reality. Telling the truth is good, but what you say is not just the only thing to be concerned about. It's how you say it. See, you can use the truth like a baseball bat. I mean, you can have a conversation with somebody and say, hey, you want the truth? I'll tell you the truth. I mean, you're just an inconsiderate idiot. You're a complete jerk. Now, church, is that speaking the truth in love? Okay, shake your head this way, please, okay? Yeah, that, it could be true, but that's not speaking the truth in love. That's speaking the truth in anger because our words can hurt. Now listen, the Bible is, is so clear that God wants us to be like Jesus. And there's a beautiful verse in the book of John written by his best friend, and it says, Jesus came from the Father full of grace and what? Does anybody know? Truth, full of grace and truth. That's how God wants us to be in our conversations and our relationships with others, full of grace and truth, because here's the reality. Reckless words pierced like a sword, but the words of the wise bring healing. That's why we need to start by going to God for wisdom, because wise words heal. And a wise person speaks the truth in love. And let me say this, some of the most damaging and hurtful words that we ever speak are in the heat of the moment. Isn't that true? And the better you know someone, the better you know the words that will hurt them. And that is certainly true in marriage. I was thinking this morning, this is the 100th anniversary of the end of World War I, November 11th. And there was a period of time when, when I was growing up, it was called the Cold War. Anybody remember the Cold War between you know, the U.S. and Russia? And everybody was scared to death because we had nuclear weapons. And so there was this agreement, you know, it doesn't matter how bad things get, we're not going to resort to those weapons. Those are off the table. Because if we use an atomic bomb, we know what's going to happen. It's called mutually assured destruction. The planet and the people will be wiped out. When it comes to relationships, there are words that are like atomic bombs. Let me give you an example. When you're married, the word divorce is like an atomic bomb. You drop that word and, and the shock waves go out in all directions. And listen, as your pastor, I want to say this to you, those of you who are married today, and this is me speaking the truth and love to you. Remove the word divorce from your vocabulary and don't use it as a threat. Listen, if you want a strong marriage, a healthy marriage, you've got to speak the truth, you've got to hear the truth, you've got to respond to the truth, but that truth must be communicated in love. It must be communicated with words that help, words that heal, not words that hurt, not words that tear down. And that is exactly what the Bible tells us this is again in Ephesians. It says, 
Do not, do not use harmful words, but only helpful words, the kind that build up and provide what is needed. Listen, every marriage deals with conflict. Every family deals with conflict. But the question is, are you going to deal with that conflict God's way? Is that your goal? Because if that's your goal, then you need to realize there are certain words that are just off the table, words that you will choose never to use because you know the damage they can do. And that brings us to this next step in dealing with conflict. Fix the problem, not the blame. Fix the problem, not the blame. How many of you in the last few weeks have gotten any um, political ads in your mailbox or text messages on your phone? I mean, the conflict, the political conflict in this country is, is uh, kind of off the charts right now. And I was thinking the other day, you know, you watch news and the Republicans are blaming the Democrats and the Democrats are blaming the Republicans and the Congress is blaming the White House and the White House is blaming the Congress and it's just the blame game. But here's, here's what's at least helpful in one sense. It's nothing new. It started right in the book of Genesis because who did Adam blame? Who did Adam blame? Okay, who did Eve blame? The snake. <laughs> and the snake didn't have a leg to stand on. So... <laughs> For those of you who know the story. And here's, here's what I want to point out. When you're busy fixing the blame, you're not busy fixing the problem. Right? And think about any problem that you might have right now. And, and there's so many problems that, that we deal with, you know, when it comes to relationships. Sometimes, you know, a financial problem causes a relational problem. Maybe it could be your work schedule. Maybe it's with the kids or your in-laws, whatever it happens to be. When you have conflict about a problem, this is what often happens. Somebody gets blamed. Isn't that true? It was their fault. It was your fault. Now, what do you do typically when somebody points their finger and says, it was your fault? How do you respond to that? You know what my default mode is? To defend myself. Oh, no. It wasn't my fault. And so what happens is there's a blaming and a defending. And what happens to the conflict? Does it get better or worse? Yeah, it gets worse. Sometimes way worse. Look at this verse. It says, you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, which is saying things designed to hurt, slander, saying things that aren't true, and filthy language like profanity from your lips. Listen, when it comes to dealing with conflict, and this is especially true in marriage, you need to realize this. You're a team of two. And you're on the same side. So don't attack each other. Attack the problem. Stay on the home team. And finally, this is the last thing. Focus on reconciliation, not resolution. Focus on reconciliation, not resolution. And I need to explain the difference because it's really significant. Reconciliation means establishing, reestablishing the relationship. And you're able to do that because you're willing to forgive, you're willing to let go of the hurt. Resolving your differences means that you agree on every little thing. And that is virtually impossible to do. Why? Because we're different people, aren't we? I mean, we have different temperaments and different personalities and different perspectives. We grew up in different families. We are different. And this is especially true when you're married to someone. Now, my wife, Chris, is sitting on the front row, and I asked her last night if I could share some things about our relationship this morning that I thought would be helpful. And I wanted to say this. We're very different. Those of you who know us know that we're really different people. Um, for example, um, if Chris wants to relax, she will sit and read a book. I don't relax by reading a book. I read a book to get information. If I'm going to relax, I want to do something active. And then there's this little device in our home on the hallway wall that regulates the temperature. And we have often very different ideas about what that number should look like. 
And so we have to figure that one out. Or how about this? Um, when it comes to movies, Chris likes a certain kind of movie. I like a very different kind of movie. And how many of you have ever done home improvement projects with your spouse? Okay, Chris and I like to do home improvement projects and we'll go and get all you know, materials and then it's time to figure out what to do first or the best way to do it. I'll tell you what, we are very different when it comes to the best way to get that project done almost every single time. And yet despite our differences, we've remained married for, um, well, 45 years. And I'll tell you why. Thank you. But I'll tell you why. It's because we choose to focus on reconciliation, reconciling the relationship, not trying to resolve every difference. Because we understand that, you know, we can agree to disagree and still love each other. And in fact, our differences can become a strength because Chris is different than I am. She has different gifts and different abilities and a different perspective. And when we're a team of two, that's good. It makes us more effective as a team. But church, let me be quick to add that the reason that, that Chris and I have, have been able over the years to reconcile our relationship is not because we're smart. It's not because we're strong. It's not because we're lucky. It's because of Jesus. And I will tell you this, and I know Chris would, would echo this, that he is the foundation of our marriage. He's the foundation of our life. He holds us together. He settles our disputes. Jesus gives us the, the strength to keep on trying and keep on going. He's the one who gives us the desire and the ability to be peacemakers. And that's what God wants for you. He wants you to be a peacemaker. And I, I think, church, this is so, so very important. When you're a follower of Christ... Jesus has made a way for you to be at peace with your Father. And he wants you to be able to share that with other people so they can be at peace with their Father, with the God who loves them and created them. Because that peace with God is what makes it possible to have peace in your heart and peace with other people. And we read about this, this privilege and this responsibility in 2 Corinthians, and it says this, all of this is a gift from God. And this is speaking about this new life that's possible in Jesus. It's all a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task, there's a responsibility and privilege, of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, notice this, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us, he gave us, his church, this wonderful message of reconciliation. Listen, Jesus came to reconcile us to God and to reconcile us to each other. And church, my challenge to us this morning is this. Make a commitment to be an agent of reconciliation in a world filled with conflict. And remember this. Remember what Jesus said. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so very much for the, the truth of your word, the power of your word. And we pray this morning, God, that that truth would do its work of transforming us. Because God, we know this, that if there's no peace in our hearts, it's really hard to have any peace in our homes or in our church or in our world. God, would you do this? Would you forgive us for the times that we've been peace breakers? And Lord, forgive us for the times that we've been peace fakers, just trying to pretend that that there was nothing wrong. And Lord, I pray this morning for those who are in conflict of some kind, that Lord, you would give them your wisdom. 
Lord, that you would give them your power, that you would enable them to, to deal with the conflict in a way that honors you. Lord, I pray too for the families here that have been dealing with conflict for, for a long time. And it seems like nothing is going to change. God, remind us that you can change. Remind us, God, that you're the one that can, can do the impossible. Lord, I, I pray too for the person who, who knows that they don't have peace with you because they've never trusted Jesus. And I, I pray that today would be the, the beginning of a new life, that they would just come to you and in their own words say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I'm like that, that broken pot up on the stage. I'm, I'm shattered, God, in so many ways, and I, I want a new life. And so, Jesus, I just want to tell you, I believe that you're the Son of God, that you came to this world and died to pay for my sins and came back to life. And I want to follow you. I want a new life. God, I know you answer that prayer every time that someone comes to you. And Father, I pray this as well. When it comes to the conflicts that we are dealing with, the walls that have gone up, Jesus, bring down those walls. Heal the broken hearts. And Lord, these mountains that stand in the way, would you, would you remove them? And God, when we tell ourselves there's no way this will change, there is no way this relationship can be healed, remind us, God, that you're the one who can make a way where there seems to be no way. And God, you've done it before. We see this in your scriptures. God, we've seen it in our lives. And so we pray simply, Lord, please do it again.